You can be anything you want to be. Have you heard that before? It sounds very affirming, encouraging, positive, uh, but is it true? Uh, can we really be anything that we want to be? Can we do anything that we want to do? I came across the the Barbie music video. Uh, last week, uh, Bishop John quoted a French philosopher. This week, I'm quoting Barbie. And the chorus went like this. I won't try to sing it. It says, you can be anything you want. No dreams impossible because you're unstoppable. And I think this is a message uh, that our children are hearing from all directions. And you might say, well, why shouldn't we tell our kids that they can be anything? Won't that encourage them to succeed? Uh, won't it um, uh, build their confidence? What's wrong with that? And the truth is, we should encourage our children to aim high. But the message, you can be anything you want to be, apart from the fact that it's simply not true, um, you know, we all have gifts and abilities, there are all things, there are things that we can all do, but equally, there are things that we can't do. Um, but apart from that, it reinforces our sense of autonomy. I can be anything I want to do. Be, uh, be. I can do anything I want to do. It's just another way of saying, I am sovereign over my own life. I am in control of my future. I will decide my life story. And when we start to think like that, there's very little room left for God in our lives. If we want to encourage our children, you can be anything you want to be is the wrong, wrong starting point. What we should be saying is you can live your best life by following Jesus. For all of us, when we're working out what we want to do with our lives, our starting point should be God is sovereign, God is in control, and I want to make God's plan my plan. When we know and love Jesus, it's not about what we want. It's about what he wants. But that's okay because we know that he loves us and he wants the very best for us. And actually, he knows what's best for us. And we don't. Verse 13 says, Now listen, you who say, tomorrow, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. And actually, that doesn't sound so terrible, does it? I mean, if someone in your home group or your hub said, I'm going to, we're going to move to Melbourne. Um, I've got a year's contract. It's, uh, it, it, it means a significant pay rise. And we're hoping that other things will come from it. We wouldn't think, well, that's so arrogant. Wouldn't think that. And it wouldn't be. But James has in mind the person who makes their plans without any thought for God. In this case, it's a business plan, but it could be plans uh, about anything. And it's supremely arrogant. It's basically saying, I know best. Why do I need to involve God in this? And we can find ourselves doing it. We form plans about our uh, career or our business, our family affairs, where we want to go on holiday, uh, plans about what we want to do with our homes. And we forget that they're dependent, these plans, on a myriad of unknown quantities, not least the continuance of life and health. Plans that have uh, no regard for God, no recognition of our reliance on God, 
are based on the foolish premise that we're in control. And we're not. It's interesting, two weeks ago, we saw how James contrasts two kinds of wisdom, uh, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom is based on humility, humbling, humbly submitting our lives to Christ. Uh, worldly wisdom, which isn't really wisdom at all, is based on selfishness and pride. Making plans without any thought for God is incredibly prideful because it amounts to practical atheism. Practical atheism is when we believe in God, but we live our lives as if there is no God. But as Christians, we believe in an omniscient, omnipotent, that is, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Are we really going to try and make our plans without him? By contrast, uh, we don't know, know very much at all. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. I can't say for sure that I'll be alive this time tomorrow. I, I hope I will be. I believe that I will be, but I can't know that for absolute certain. When I was in the Royal Marines, we were training uh, in the desert in Southern California. We were uh, billeted in these uh, they're kind of huts, a bit like giant pigsties, you know, with a round roof that comes down to the floor. And um, there was a guy in the bed opposite, but a couple down on the um, on his camp bed. And his name was Les, and I remember seeing him on his birthday. He was sitting on the edge of his bed. He was opening his cards uh, that he'd been sent from his family uh, back home. Big smile on his face. Uh, that evening, we had some time off. We could go to the uh, U.S. base that was just down the road, 20K down the road. So we all got there by various means of transport. Uh, we came back at different times. We got our heads down. And the following day, the sergeant major gathered the whole company together and said, I've got some really sad news. Les died last night. He was in a car accident. And it was such a shock. You could like, feel the shockwave pass through the whole company. Uh, Les was probably the most likable, the most lovable guy in the company. He was a very gentle, good-natured, uh, good-hearted man. Uh, but all his hopes and his dreams and his plans, they ended like that. No one, no one could have seen that coming. Life is incredibly unpredictable. Now, I'm not saying this to worry us, uh, but it is an undeniable reality. I mean, who here had to change their plans for COVID-19 or because of COVID-19? I think that, that's all of us, isn't it? Uh, none of us factored, factored COVID-19 into our plans that we were making last year. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So let's stop pretending that we're in control because we're not. So does this mean that we shouldn't make plans? It could be that you're a really laid-back person and you don't really like making plans. You might be thinking, this is the life verse for me. I don't need a schedule. I don't need a diary. I don't need a budget. I don't need a plan. Awesome. Uh, well, if that's you, I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is not an anti-planning verse. Uh, we should have a plan. We should have uh, a vision, dreams, aspirations. That's why as a church and the parish council in particular has been looking at vision 2025, prayerfully discerning where God wants us to be in five years' time. The problem that James is highlighting is when we make plans without any thought for God, 
or what he might want. Uh, When we rush in without praying, without seeking the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, without asking uh, godly people to help us to discern what God might want for us. The Bible encourages us to make plans, uh, particularly the book of Proverbs. And we know that James is really influenced by the, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. It's not wrong to make plans. The question is, are we seeking the Lord's guidance in everything? Are we committing our plans to the Lord? I think sometimes we split our lives almost into two halves. We think, well, there's the stuff that God's interested in, you know, like uh, church and family and moral decisions. And then there's the stuff that God doesn't really have anything to do with. So my career or my business or sport or leisure time, all that stuff. But if we're making a plan about something, that's a good indication that that something has some kind of priority in our life. And if that's the case, we should be seeking God's guidance for that. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Seek the Lord's guidance in everything. I mean, not literally everything. You don't have to sit down and pray about what cereal you're going to have for breakfast. You might well pray generally about your diet and what you're putting into your body. Um, And it's not wrong to pray about small, everyday things. You know, God wants to hear from us. God wants us to uh, to pour out our, our, our thoughts and our feelings and to talk to him about everything. But the point I'm making here is that if something is important enough that we've made some kind of plan, then we need to have sought the Lord about that. So this passage is not anti-planning. It's more to do with our heart's attitude towards our priorities, our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our plans. In verse 14, James asks an important question. What is your life? What is your life? It's a question that encapsulates a lot of life's big questions, a lot of the first order questions. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Why are you here? What is your life? What are you supposed to do with it? The British historian and philosopher, Sir Alfred Toynbee, observed that we're the first civilization that doesn't tell its citizens why they exist. Well, as Christians, we know in general terms why we exist. Firstly and foremostly, to be in relationship with God and then also to be in relationship with one another and with the whole of creation. That's why we exist principally and in general terms. But God has a more specific plan and purpose for each one of us. He's our Father in heaven. He cares for us. He loves us. He's got a plan for us. But life is short. It would be crazy to risk wasting any of it by making plans independently of God. And James reminds us that life is fleeting. Verse 14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes like steam from a kettle. It's there one second, it's gone the next. It's very similar to Psalm 144, verses 3 to 4. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They're like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Your life is like a breath. (gasps) And then it's over. Now, we could be 
discouraged by that. We could find that quite depressing, but we shouldn't be uh, discouraged. We shouldn't find it depressing because we know that in Christ, there is life beyond the grave, everlasting life in a renewed and restored creation. Uh, So we definitely shouldn't find it depressing. But when we hear that life in the here and now is fleeting, it should be an encouragement not to waste any time. Many of us have wasted a lot of time because for much of our lives, we were following plans that we'd made without any reference to God. Or worse still, we were drifting through life without a plan, just kind of letting life happen to us. None of us know how much time we got left. But in the overall scheme of things, it's not long for any of us. We don't want to reach the end of our lives and wonder how things might have been if we'd followed Jesus more closely. Your deathbed is not the time or the place to wish that you'd done things differently. In uh, Tolstoy's wonderful book, War and Peace, I'm making up for the Barbie quote here, uh, War and Peace is about the Russian aristocracy during the Napoleonic era. And there's a character in the book called Prince Bolkonsky. And he's old, he's bitter, he's angry, he's resentful for all kinds of reasons. And he takes it out on his daughter. He treats her like a verbal punching bag. And he says the most hurtful things, even though deep down he loves her. And Maya, his daughter, uh, wants to believe that her father loves her, but he never gives her any evidence of that until on his deathbed. He's literally got an hour or two uh, left to live. And he says this, and I quote, Dear girl, or was it darling, Princess Maya could not tell, but the look in his eyes told her beyond doubt it was something full of warmth and affection that she had never heard from him before. There was a short silence. Thank you, my dear daughter, for everything. Forgive me. Thank you. Please forgive me. And tears ran down from his eyes. Life is fleeting. We can't afford to be cracking our own routine without any reference to God. If we arrogantly pursue our own plans and we don't allow God to shape us and mold us and change us and guide us, then we will make a mess of things, perhaps not in the same way as Prince Bolkonsky, but we have regrets. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is not a dress rehearsal. We don't have a lot of time to get this right. So why on earth wouldn't we seek the God of the universe to help us and guide us and show us what he wants for us and what he wants from us? So instead of boasting about what we're going to do, verse 15 says this, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it is the Lord's will or God willing, God willing, it's a bit of a Christian cliche, isn't it? Uh, A lot of Christians seem to think that every time you say you're going to do something, you have to add God willing to the end of the sentence. I'm going to work today, God willing. I'm going to walk the dog, God willing. I'm going to get out of bed, God willing. I'm going to make the tea, God willing. Uh, Well, we don't need more Christian cliches. We've got enough of them. Uh, James is not talking about a cliche. He's talking about a conviction. In our heart, we're saying, I believe this is what the Lord's want, what the Lord wants. 
but I could be wrong. And God can change my plans because he's in control and I'm not. Because his will uh, overrides mine. You know, when we set our heart on something, it's very easy to convince ourselves that it's God's will. Even though we haven't prayed about it, or read uh, any scripture, read God's word, or, or sought the counsel of a godly friend, or done anything that would help us to discern God's will for our lives. And often the more we want to do something, the less likely it is we seek God about it, because we just assume that because that's what we want, it must be what God wants and what's best for us. Uh, many of us at some point in our lives have, have, have made important decisions about finances, jobs, relationships, and all kinds of other things without seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And looking back, we can see where we made mistakes, but how willing would we have been at the time to change our course? How willing would we have been to forego taking up that job or that position? How willing would we to have been to have um, not pursued that relationship? That deep down we knew that God was trying to guide us, but we just couldn't see it at the time, and we didn't want to uh, countenance anything else. You see, when we seek God, we need to approach him with complete humility, saying, not my will, but yours be done. That's what it means to say God willing. It's not a cliche that we add to the end of a sentence. It's the attitude of our heart that says, God knows what's best for me. God has got a plan for me. And that's what I want. Even when that seems very different to what uh, I might naturally go for. So how do we discern God's will for our lives? Well, it's certainly not a matter of learning a long list of do's and don'ts. We learn God's will through being in relationship with God, through praise and worship and uh, reading God's word and being together with, with other uh, Christians, with a, with a community of Jesus' followers. And the more we, for want of a better word, hang out with God, the better we'll understand his will for our lives, what he wants for us and from us. And some things are obvious. Uh, for example, we don't have to pray about whether or not to pay our taxes. Jesus made it very obvious that we should. But other things are less obvious because the chances are your plans are not overtly evil. You know, I doubt there's anyone in the church who's planning on starting their own drug cartel. Your plans might not be overtly evil, but equally they might not be God's best for you. Often the choices we make are not choices between good and evil. They're choices between good and best, God's best. We want to know God's will for our lives, what he wants us to do with our time and our energy and our money, how he wants us to live. And it's not a case of saying, right, I'm going to say a prayer, and then God will reveal to me in an instant exactly what I have to do. It's a, it's a gradual process of discerning God's will over time as we draw closer to him. And we, we heard verse 8 last week, come near to God and he will come near to you. The closer we are to God, the more likely it is that we'll choose best over good. And when it comes to the big questions, we'll be able to say, okay, I've prayed about it. 
I've genuinely been seeking the Lord. I've not heard a big booming voice from a cloud, but I've got peace about this. But God is sovereign. God is in control. And if I've got this wrong, then I trust him to redirect me and put me back on the right track. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Let's make the most of the time we have by making God's plans our plans. It's an altogether humbler, wiser, and more exciting approach to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. You have a role for each one of us in building your kingdom. We thank you that life, although uh, it can seem fleeting, is so full of opportunity. And we pray that uh, we will make your plan our plan so that our life is the best life that we can live, the life of following your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that uh, although life in the here and now is fleeting, that your promise of eternal life, living forever in a renewed and restored creation, that that is a, a steadfast and true promise that we can hold on to. So Father, help us to make the most of this life that we have and to live it for you and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.